Um, at this time, Paulie, thank you so much for being here this morning. We're psyched to hear the word that God has put upon your heart. So um, if you haven't met Paul, this is Paul Moran. He is a uh, native Rhode Islander, uh, now living in Virginia, but we're, I think, wearing him down to finally get him to move back very shortly. And uh, we love it whenever you're here with us, Paulie. So. I'm situated. Hey! That's all right. Um, have you guys ever did something with an expectation that it was going to turn out a certain way and it didn't turn out the way you thought? Like driven by, you know, like you have a, like something in you. It's like, man, I got to do this. And then when you do it, you're like, oh, this was an epic failure. This was not what I thought it would look like. And I was like thinking through um, some things because unfortunately I have a lot of those stories in my life. So I was like, which one should I pick? But I was even thinking about when David and I was traveling um, to, and a couple of our friends were traveling to this college and we were so pumped. We're like, man, God, you're going to move. And we had this thought like these people are going to come in just ready to worship and ready to go in. And as we begin to worship, they looked at us like, we don't want any of this. What are you doing? How long are you going to continue doing this? And my buddy, Mari, like, got up, and he thought to himself, if I can just get, draw them in. And he gave this, like, compelling story, a really sympathetic story about his life. Like, my friend, like, has, was vision impaired. He went through some things, and he's, like, pouring out his heart. And people were just, like, didn't care. There was nothing that came out of it. They didn't, they didn't think, nothing got them excited. He was telling them everything Jesus did in their life. And we go through those sometimes, those like results that we think are going to happen and they don't happen. And, and I have nothing good to tell you about that night. It just didn't happen the way we thought it was going to happen. Night, it just didn't go over well. Um, and I can remember, I was thinking about a time where I actually... I was, I was even warned not to do this. You ever be warned not to do something, but you do it anyways? I was, that's me. I, I, so we were going to a friend's bachelor party, and we were uh, told, we were going to this cabin, and we were told, hey, so David and I decided to go ahead of, of the crew to get coffee, 
And um, as we went to go get coffee, we're making great timing. And we're told like, hey, there's this cabin area. Don't go down into the driveway because it's been raining and it was wet and it was snowy and you're going to get stuck. But we were having so much fun and it was a creepy neighborhood to begin with. So we were like, David and I were like, we don't know where we are. So as we came in, we looked and, and I'm like, I kind of looked and said, oh, it doesn't look really that bad. I was like, so why not? I have a Ford Fusion, by the way, so I don't have any kind of, it was a janky car. So I like went down, not that Ford Fusion is a janky, but I went down and, and David and I like are going. And as I go down, I realized that not only was this, we weren't really even fully in the driveway. This driveway was so long and on our right side, it was like a, a big massive hill. Like that if we, in, in the driveway was so tiny, it was probably as tiny as this area. And in one way we go, we would be rolling, David would go first, but we would be rolling <laughs> down that hill. So I could at least brace for impact on him. But uh, I realized like midway through, I was like, oh no, this was a bad decision. And um, I was like, well, let me try to reverse out of it. And I could not. <laughs> it was like, if I reversed it, we would have went. So I was like, David, we just got to go down. So we go all the way down and we get stuck in this mud and I'm kicking mud everywhere all over my car and where, and David finds it hysterical. So he decides as I'm trying to get this car out of the mud, he's going to film me the whole time to put on Instagram because that's the world we live in. Let's blast people's mistakes. So I'm like still trying to keep a good sense of humor about it, but inside I want to choke him, you know, like, ah, it so I get out. He doesn't even offer to get out. So I get out of my car and I'm like, David, get into the path, like the driver's seat and I'm going to try to push it out. And he kicks mud all over me as I'm trying to push it out. And as we're going through all this, we look up because we were on a hill. We went down a hill. We look up on the hill and our friends are waving at us. What are you doing? You're not supposed to be over there. And we're like, we know. And the whole, we spent two hours trying to get my Ford out of that ditch. What was even worse, I'm pretty sure that's why I had to get a new car recently because when we had to create a path out. And so my Ford's like on rocks and trees to get out of this area. And it was like, why? You know, you're like, why did I do that? You know? And everybody's joking with you. But I realized to myself what's even funnier that the result of that later on, when you look back at it, it's, it's, it's just a memory. It's a funny memory. You know what I mean? It's a memory you look back at and you think to yourself, I don't know if I would have done that again, but it was something to laugh at with your friends. And you know what? Even if I can go a little further, the response of that, that, that uh, college was a little rough, but what was more crazy is that the testimony was coming through weeks later that we thought weren't going to come through. People that were getting in touch by God, people that were getting breakthrough, so at times we put so much into when we make a bad decision, sometimes we make a, we get so result driven, it's what discourages us the most. So when we make decisions that may not line up to what we want it to be, or sometimes we, we have good intentions and we don't see what we want to see and we don't see the result we want to see, we create in us the sense of like frustration. Why did we do what we did? Why do we do what we do? But often, sometimes we don't know what memory, what funny memory is going to come through there, or even what kind of testimony God's going to do in people's lives that we just have no clue about because we're just looking at the result of things in front of us. You know, 
And so I want to I want to speak on uh, one of my favorite stories to me that really displays missions, just the gospel in such a great light. And it's going to be out of Acts um, twenty two, but I kind of want to give a quick background. So Acts twenty two verses one through twenty two, and I'm just going to kind of walk through it. Um, it's going to be some teaching and in this. So. Um, but I want to kind of give a background before. So Paul has been killing it in Asia, and he's been doing some amazing things. God's been moving. He sees so much result. He's getting so comfortable with the rhythm he's in. And in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit speaks to him and tells him, Paul, it's time to go to Jerusalem. And so he gathers up the elders of emphasis because he brought in wise counsel, which I love, right? And he asks this wise counsel, and he shares it. Actually, he doesn't even ask. He shares with them what the Holy Spirit's speaking over him. So this is what it says. And you don't have to go to it. Acts 20, 21. Stay in Acts 22. So Acts 20, 22 to 23, it says this. And now compelled, Paul is telling the elders this. And now compelled by the Spirit and obligated by my convictions, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit least solemnly and emphatically affirms me in city after city that imprisonment and suffering awaits me. But I do not consider my life as something of value or dear to me, so that I may with joy finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify faithfully of the good news of God's precious, undeserved grace, which makes us free from guilt of sin and grants us eternal life. Which I receive, I love this, to testify of the faithfulness of the good news. I don't know what Paul was feeling when he felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to go into Jerusalem, but I do know this, that if I heard the Holy Spirit call me to a place and then say, hey, by the way, this is what I will promise you, that there will be imprisonment, there'll be some suffering, there's going to be a lot of bad days, I don't know if I would be like, that's, that's the devil, and move on. I'd be like, that's not of God. I actually, the one time I would take my mom's advice and not go somewhere. I'd be like, you know what? My mom doesn't want me to go. I'm not going to go. Like, that's, you're compelled. Like, that's not a really exciting thing to hear. You know what I mean? Like, the Holy Spirit's compelling me to go to an area where I'm going to be beaten and stoned and imprisoned. Who's behind me? Nobody would be. Because the result of that in our minds is, that's a bad idea. You're not going to like what you see from that. And that's essentially what these elders said. Like, listen, Paul, we love you, but we're not sure about this. Like, pump the brakes a little, buddy. But I love when he's like, I'm compelled. I'm obligated. I'm going by my convictions. I'm not going to stand still. When I hear something from God, I'm going to move. And so that's what Paul decided to do. And, just, and he did hear right from the Lord. We're going to find out because it wasn't what he thought. Well, it wasn't what I, maybe he was hoping. You even ever sometimes hear bad news, but hope for the best out of it, you know? Like maybe it's not going to turn out the way you, you, you kind of know it is going to turn out, you know? But Paul, Paul decides to go. So Paul gets into Jerusalem. And as he's going to Jerusalem, he goes into the temple, and he's with some Gentiles. 
And there was just, and he told his buddy, he said, Hey, stay here. I got some vows that he was going to go into and do in Jerusalem. So he goes in, does these vows, and he comes out. And these two Jewish men from Asia begin to stir up the crowd because they're so upset that Paul is there because they've known the fruit of Paul. They've seen what Paul was doing. They've seen the success of the gospel being preached out through Paul's life. They were livid that Paul was in the temple and so began to stir a crowd up. You ever been around troublemakers, like people that you know, know how to say the right things to get people going and getting upset and getting the crowd? Like I've met people where they just, that's their nine to five job. They're looking to cause trouble. They're looking to stir things up. Paul comes out of the temple and immediately these two guys who've seen everything that was going on around them begin to stir up trouble and said, isn't this the man? This is Paul, the man who's not only just preaching a false truth, but he's diminishing our rituals and our culture, just knocking down Jews. And he's They're going into this. And of course, like the crowd is getting upset, you know? Felly and I went through that. My buddy Felly and I went through that when we were in Philadelphia as people were smacking on the pats and they kept going in and leaning in and, you know, you're trying to smile and no, no, that's fine. But inside you're so upset, you know, you're like, you guys suck, you know, you know, and you want to say things you can't say, but they're housing us. So we're trying to, <laughs> we're like, we know, we really hope Philadelphia wins again. But it's like, you know, it, you, but they, Paul comes out of here and he just gets bum rushed with these people who are causing a chaos in, in accusations that weren't accurate. They're like, and not only this, he even brought one of his Gentile friends in, and to them, Gentiles were scum. That's what, how they looked at Gentiles. Gentiles were unclean. They used to call them dogs and uncircumcised. That was like a dig. They were lower than low. How can you bring a dog into the temple? How can you defile the law of the Jewish culture and everything we stand for. He has no respect. And before Paul knows it, he, this crowd starts forming around him and they start wailing on him and beating him in all intentions to kill him. Talk about a welcome. Good to see you. They start beating him so bad that people run to the to Romans, these Romans commanders and say, listen, the crowd's going crazy. There's a, there's a mob going on. They're beating up this random man. We have no clue what he did wrong. This, the commander comes with his soldiers, grabs, gets in front of them, beating him, pulls Paul up and says, them, what is going on? Scripture says that he was so irate. They were so full of anger. They were making, Scripture says they made no sense with what they were trying to explain to the commander. But you know what's so interesting? I think that's what happens when we let evil seep into us, when we let dark thoughts come into We do things that make absolutely no sense. And then we try to find reason behind sinful actions. And there was absolutely nothing that they could really, they, the Romans couldn't understand anything. So all he did know was, we don't know what's going on. They even chained Paul up based off the fact that these guys were beating him up. They assumed he had to do something wrong. So Paul's chained up. They pick Paul up. Scripture says they had to pick him up. The soldiers had to carry him off from the crowd. And they get him to a safe place. And this is what blows my mind as we go. We're going right in now to Acts 22. They get Paul into a safe place. And Paul's beat up, torn to shreds. He's, I'm sure he's probably breathing extremely heavy, 
blood everywhere. You would think he would be looking at them like, oh, thank you so much. I don't know what was happening. Can I get a cup of water? Does anybody have water? Like the first thing out of his mouth, I mean, you would think my first thing in my mouth would be like, get me out of here. But he speaks to the soldiers, the commander in Greek, his own language, which impresses the, the commander. And he says to him in Greek, he says, can I, can I get a minute to address the crowd again? He just got pulled out of getting the crap kicked out of him, just beaten to a point to where he had not, I mean, you know, clothes were ripped up, blood everywhere. You would, he looks up to the commander in Greek and says, hey, can you give me a minute to speak to that crowd who was beating on me? And the commander, solely just because he was impressed that he spoke Greek, was like, sure, have at it. Don't know why you want to do this. And so this is what Paul says. Verse 1. Brothers, esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speak in their own language, the silence was even greater. He steps out onto these steps, completely beaten completely bruised up. I mean, like Scripture says, man, we joke about it, but the seriousness of it is their intentions were to kill this man. Could you imagine beating somebody and breaking somebody to a point of wanting to kill them to death? And what's crazy is he, he approaches them by complimenting them, by showing respect to them, by calling them brothers and esteemed. The very crowd which is seconds ago couldn't stand him he addresses them and says gentlemen scholars people of reason people who have honor can i speak to you for a minute and he speaks to them exactly where they are in their language which scholars may think what could have been hebrew could have been greek but again yet again he meets them where they are and begins to Pour them with affection. Just in that one sentence meant so much to them that it calmed the crowd down to a complete silence to hear what he had to say. To hear what he had to say. I don't know if I would have responded that way. I would have been so upset. I would have been like, are you guys crazy? What are you doing? I lost my sandal. Somebody bring my left sandal to the front. I need it. I have one sandal on. I'm thirsty. I don't know where exactly I am. I would have been so ripped up. The last thing I would have done is compliment them and call them brothers of high esteem. No. I would have been thinking, this is why God doesn't like you. You know, I would have been so irate. But he responds in this most gentle and kind way. Which is crazy because he went from taking a mob who wanted to destroy him to saying complete quietness, which responds to keep going. We want to, what, what, about to, what are you about to say? And so this is, this is where he goes. He begins to speak. And he says this. Then Paul said, I am a Jew 
born in Tarsus, in the city of Cilicia, and brought up in an education here in Jerusalem under Galamia. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounded some to death, arrested both men and women, and thrown them in prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I received the letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from, uh, from there to Jerusalem and changed and to be punished. Paul makes it super clear that he was just like them. And even so, he wanted them to understand something even greater, that one of the best well-known rabbis that he names, that they know of, he's like, he was actually my mentor. He trained me up to do these very things you're doing right now. And I was, I was where you guys were. I was completely full of zeal. I understand what you were doing. I get where you were coming from. He's like, look, I've been there. The highest priest, the whole council of the elders can testify to this, he's saying. I received letters. His job was to take Christians and bring them across and imprison them, make their lives miserable. Why is he meeting them where they are? Because he understands when people don't know who Jesus is, we have this weird expectation that they should still be like Jesus. It's a weird, it's like, it's, Paul was like, I understand where you guys were. I was exactly where you were. But see, what love does when we follow God is we stop putting expectations on broken people and begin to just love them exactly where they're at. We stop making this assumption that we, they should know and they should know better to, can I, can I just be where you are for a minute? Can I start to testify of what Jesus has done in my life? Like, I know the rage. I know the anger. I know why you were beating me. Heck, I was leading the crowds to beat other people. He doesn't even stop here, 30, uh, verse three through five. You, we're going to see he continues to relate to a broken crowd. Mercy over, over judgment towards others will always be our natural response when we continue to draw near to the Father and connect our hearts to His. That will always be our natural response. See, love rooted in Jesus as Paul displayed will always turn the other cheek, will always find every opportunity to honor others, will always speak with grace and humility. He did not have a chance to collect his thoughts in those moments, take a few days to forgive them, had a few seconds to make a decision to address them, and the decision he made to address them was full of love and compassion and understanding because that's what the gospel is. We, we love to make excuses on why we're not going to respond to people who just wronged us. You know, I need a couple of days. I need to collect my thoughts. Let the sun go down. Don't let the sun go down to anger. It's just poetry, you know? We try to find a way out of it. This sun is going down, you know? Because we, we don't want to humble ourselves before people who just hurt us. But yet, Paul's doing this. Because this is the display of what happens when Jesus changes. This should be something evidently different with Paul's speech than what they've seen before if he's a follower of Jesus Christ. Guys, there should be something evidently different about the way we care and love people by the way we react with them that should set them to a place of silence to say, I want to hear more. 
And when they get to a place of science to hear more, I think one of the best things to be able to do is not let our past be a shameful thing, but be a testimony of God's goodness. If we use our past, so many of us love to use our past as a way to imprison ourselves. And I do that sometimes all the time. It's one of my, probably my worst things. It's like, man, I should never do this. I should never do that. I'm my worst prisoner. But what happens is, is when we stand on the promises of God, what we can do is reverse it and let what the enemy thinks he has holding us down used to set other people around us free. Because that's what happens when you proclaim your You're not glorifying sin. You're glorifying God who saved us from sin. You're glorifying justification and sanctification and righteousness. That's what we are. We're deemed righteous now. So there should be a different response when we're talking about our past. There shouldn't be the sense of shame. But there's a sense of relief and hope because God is what got us through it. And so, we'll continue verse 6 through 11. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shined down around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you, uh, who are you, Lord? I asked. And the voice replied, I am, a, I am Jesus of Nazareth the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light but didn't understand the the voice speaking to me. (laughs) It's a whole thing in itself, a message on. Don't understand the voice speaking to me. And the Lord told me, get up and go to Damascus, and there you will be told everything you are to do. I was blind by the intense light and had to be led by the hand of the Damascus by my companions. He used his past and advantage like we just mentioned to further the kingdom. Even detail, Paul's mentioned the Lord calling himself Jesus of Nazareth. In that, he, he's even actually acknowledging to these people, I see this as the highest rabbi. And he says, Lord, Lord, Lord. He's letting them know like he's showing them through his response to God, he's the king of kings to me. Like, this is who I'm serving. And culturally, that's important to them to hear that stuff. To bring clear reminder with no confusion on Paul was talking about who he met on the day of Damascus. Also stressing that the Lord even recognized Paul as one of the top dogs of persecuting Jesus. Again, something this crowd can relate to and build respect to. Paul is... Paul, in their wrongly viewed eyes of understanding the truth, what he was trying to do here was say, listen, even Jesus knew that I was one of the lowest of lows. He even knew that I was heading up the destruction to his people. But yeah, what's crazy is God still met Paul where he was at. And so in return, Paul was trying to meet them exactly where they were at. Because we forget about this, but the gospel isn't circumstantial. It's not for the clean and the put together. It's not like, when we get it right, then we're going to share the gospel. But we, we, Paul was trying to get at, at my lowest of places. At the, I was on my way to bring destruction to Christians, and the Lord meets me where I'm at, calls me higher to, than where I'm exactly at, and sets me free from a bondage I didn't even realize I was completely in. That's the gospel. That's what it is. And so we continue 12, 
12 verse 20, uh, 23. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and, and well regarded by all the Jewish of, uh, all the Jews of Damascus. He became, he came and stood beside me and said, brother Saul, regain your sight. That very moment I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors who has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak for you are to be witness telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Verse 17, after I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance, and I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem for the people who won't accept you in your testimony about me. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beaten those who be- believed in you. And I was in complete a- agreement when, you wit- when the witnesses of, st- of the witnesses when Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. He brings more validation to his story by mentioning Ananias. He was a devoted Jew in the law and was recognized by Jesus. And Ananias telling him to go up and be baptized and having him sin washed away was a big deal to that crowd. It was a very big deal to that crowd. I want you to track me. I know this is a lot of scripture. I, I want you to follow me because I'm about to end and I want to I give you understanding to even why I'm sharing this story. Sin being washed away from, from calling on the name of Jesus and baptism being a public declaration of Paul's faith in Jesus. And the, the Lord was, was, when he was saying that, was something that was extremely shocking to that culture like it was intriguing to a point right because this is something contrary to what they wanted to hear something that they don't fully even believe in i imprisoned and beaten i was completely in agreement killing stephen here's what i love about this what paul was saying was god why do i gotta run from these very people that know me because don't they shouldn't they know and be even more wanting to draw and get to know you because they could because they're right they're looking at me but they were that they even knew who I was because of everything in my past showed? Like, shouldn't they want to draw closer to you? Shouldn't they want to hear what I have to say? Like, I was, I was holding Stephen's coats, and I was, I was the one egging them on to stone him. Shouldn't that be something that would drive them to a point to say, surely you're real, surely, God, that you're the one who, who, uh, who sets people free? But yet, he was completely confused by that because Jesus was telling him, no, they're not going to hear what you have to say. Timing with people is everything. Timing on what you're about to share, who you're about to testify to is everything. Sometimes God's calling us to sit and listen and just take in what people went through before we start berating them sometimes, almost like selling a used car salesman of the gospel. That's not what the gospel needs to be to set people free. Sometimes it's just it's sitting with them, sympathizing with them, timing on everything. And in closing, as the band comes up, this is this is why even this very closer closing part right here, the last few verses, so it's verse twenty-one through twenty-two, is is exactly even the, I feel like it sums up the story so well. Ready? 
because it's not the way our culture wants to hear it to be. But the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And the crowd listened until Paul said the word, Gentiles. Then they all began to shout, away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. They yelled through, they yelled, uh, they yelled, uh, and they ripped off their clothes. They tossed up sand in the air, and they began to scream violently all over again. That's not the best ending of a story after just sharing the gospel, is it? That's why this has been really an anthem this year for me. I'm going to tell you why. It's wordy, you know. The message is wordy, and there's a lot more. You can really do a study on Acts 21. But this is why I love this story. Why? Because so often we base whether we should share the gospel off a result. If a crowd is going to listen and respond, and we can hear amens, and man, that's good, and if they're receptive, then man, we're going to share it. But if we think that they're not going to receive it well, if we think that it's going to embarrass us, or we think we're going to offend somebody, we reserve the good news, which is the opposite of what we should be doing as believers. Because Paul didn't see the result here on earth, but I truly believe in that crowd, we don't know if later down the line, some of those people got wrecked by the Holy Spirit and it started with Paul standing on that step proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. We could look at that story as one of the most discouraging stories like, why did you just waste my Sunday? I wanted to hear that they all got saved. But that's not what God's calling us to do. We aren't called to force people to walk with Jesus. We're called to proclaim the gospel, the good news. What is the good news? It sets the captives free. It brings people to a place that they never thought they could be at and bring hope in dead bones. And sometimes we're not always going to see what we want to see. And the result's not always going to be the way we want to see them. But it doesn't mean we stop sharing the gospel. When people hurt us, when people break us apart, when people begin to judge us, even more than we should be showing the gospel out through the way we love others. Well, you know, Paul, that's, that's great. But you know, I'm not always, you know, we look at these things. I'm not always as put together. You know, Paul was fully redeemed. And, and, and you know, like, I just, I don't know if I'm going to be the one to be. I, we always come up with excuses. And I just, I constantly think of 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. My grace is all you need. Because that's what he was leaning into when he was addressing that crowd, was God's grace over his life. My power works best in your weaknesses. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ through, working through me, that is why I take pleasure in my weakness and in, in the result of hardship and persecution and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's response was leaning into the grace of God, saying, Lord, I am weak. I'm not perfect. I don't have everything all together. But this is one thing I know, that in my weakness, your power will be shown strong. You will be seen in a way that others will say that can't. I could, that, listen, Paul couldn't do what Paul did in his own strength. Paul did what he did in God alone. 
It, I, I think that, when, you know, when I went to, to China, I think it was one of the most, one of my favorite trips, but one of my most discouraging trips. Because it was one of the biggest language barriers that I've ever had to face. I had no translator, really, and nothing was fully, sometimes days just felt useless, you know? They just felt like, man, what are we doing here? When is this, when is this ending? When are, when are we going to go home? And, <clears throat> but what I forgot about the most important thing, right? This is the most important thing. It's not about us. It's not about us. I wasn't there to get my own glory. I wasn't there to, to have my own memories of interact, to be like, yeah, man, I can, you know, we, we want to tend to build on stories and stories and stories and stories so that we can, so we can take glory for it at times. I feel that way. I feel like we base off the result of our, our attitudes based off what we're going to, how we're going to respond towards bad circumstances. It's like, man, if, if things are going really well, then I'm going to have a great attitude about being in China. But when things are going really bad, why God, why do you have me here? Why? Because he's, he asked me to press in for his people. So maybe you're in a workplace that you don't like to be in or your family is really difficult to be around and you're struggling on what to do with them. God is calling us to press in for them. God is calling us to stand on, the, on our step that he's given us and to proclaim the gospel to those who need to hear it. That's what it's about, guys. The story that I love is I don't go after missions because of result. I go after it because I believe in the power and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I believe it will shift and change lives. And so I'm never going to stop preaching the gospel. Guys, we should never stop preaching the gospel. We should never stop proclaiming God's goodness, whether it's a kind deed, whether it's praying and just listening to people when they're upset and angry at you. But at all costs, can constantly live out the gospel in any way you possibly can. In any way you possibly can. I believe that not only God was, when, I believe when God met Paul in heaven, I don't believe it was just off of Paul's wins. I also believe it was off of the fact, most importantly, Paul, you obeyed me in all things. Paul, even when you didn't see what you wanted to see and you didn't want to do what I called you to do, you obeyed me in all things. And I'm so pleased with you. It's about obedience. So, so if it's like when we step in and we press into God and we draw closer near to God, our attitudes are going to shift in ways we never thought it will shift. We're going to start going to places we never thought we would go to. We're going to start sharing with people we never thought we would share with. And that's because we encountered a good father and we're no longer going to keep it hidden in the back with convenience, but we're going to boldly proclaim the gospel. Yeah. So, Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God. Lord, I, I, I thank you for, I love that example that Paul lived out. It wasn't what we thought it was going to be, Lord. I, when I was reading that, Lord, I really thought it was going to be this amazing initial earthly testimony, Lord. But I believe there's heavenly testimony that came out of that story. And so, God, I ask, Lord, that we will lean into that. That we will use Paul's life as an example. The Lord, when you call us to the darkest places, when you call us to the most inconvenient places, Lord, we, that we do it well, we love others well, we display your goodness well.
And Lord, that we don't base it off of result, but base it simply off the fact that you reign and you deserve all the glory and that in you all things must change and shift to what you call them to be. So I encourage us, God. I pray that today before we leave, you begin to highlight people in our lives that we need to be kinder to. We need to love better. We need to listen and meet them where they're at, Lord. Wherever that is, Father. Wherever that is. Lord, if if we go to a restaurant today and we get frustrated at the waitress, I pray we remember it's about showing your love and it's not about our convenience and a good good day at a restaurant lord if we're at when we go over when we go home for the holidays lord i pray lord that we remind ourselves that we're not just called to get full off of turkey god but to bring you glory in how we love our family well lord we love you and we thank you i just pray god you bless this house in the name of jesus amen thank you so much paulie and um Thank you, Jesus, uh, for all that you've given to us. At this time, family, um, we're going to have, call up the ushers to set up for uh, communion. Um, and this is an opportunity to partake in what the Lord has given us access to in his body and his blood um, poured out and broken for us so that we can partake in the eternal life he intended for us from the very beginning. This is what it all comes back to. Why do we live on mission? Why do we see things differently? It all comes back to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So this morning, Jesus, we thank you so much for being our sacrifice, for standing in our stead and taking upon yourself that which was destined for us. You stood in the gap and you said, no, these are my children. So today, God, we take this and we accept this sacrifice with grateful hearts. And we pray, God, that again today, you would continue to conform us into your very likeness, Lord, so that as we interact with people in this world, as we go through our days, they encounter you in us, that they see you, that they see the gospel in us, in how we treat them, in how we speak to them, Lord. May they see you. May they know you because they know us. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.